The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman, here with my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. Uh, and I want to start off this uh, today's show, or I guess this week's show, I should say, uh, by saying thank you. You know, we just passed 200,000 total podcast downloads, over 240,000 views on YouTube, which is just incredible for uh, a podcast that just started. I'm uh, immensely thankful, and I know EJ's thankful too that you guys have been so supportive uh, over the last few months. You downloaded in 88 countries, if you can believe it or not. So uh, we are pumped with those numbers. We could not be more excited about them, and we're happy that you guys are are still joining us and, and excited for the hopefully uh, 2020 football season <laughs> kicking off pretty soon. Here, uh, we have a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about the Jamal Adams trade. Joey Bosa got a new deal. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, some of the difficulties, I'll say, that uh, major professional sports in America have had with the coronavirus uh, so far in the last couple weeks with kind of major sports starting back up. And then a curious comment made by Keenan Allen asserting that he is the best wide receiver in the AFC West and not a certain Tyreek Hill. So we'll, we'll talk about all that on today's episode. And uh, before uh, I, I let EJ... Uh, take the mic here and introduce himself. I do want to say that I am drinking a Macallan 12 tonight. I know that I forgot to say what I was drinking last week, so I want to let you guys know, first off, Macallan 12 is my drink tonight, and it is simply divine. If you love any sort of uh, sherried scotches, um, anything with like a little bit of, uh, of fruitiness to it, you get the dark fruit. Um, it is one of my favorite sherried scotches right up there with Glendronic. And also, weirdly enough, the uh, the Costco Sherried Speyside, the Kirkland brand Sherried Speyside is also the best value in whiskey. And I will not hear any arguments otherwise because it is incredible. So, uh, yeah, McAllen 12, my choice for tonight. EJ, how are you doing? What are you drinking? Let's get to it. I am doing fantastic. We have hit our beautiful uh, three-week stretch of perfect weather in the Pacific Northwest. So it is currently, I think, 77 degrees outside. It's about 8 o'clock at night. Uh, there is a light breeze, maybe two, three miles an hour out of the west. It is perfect t-shirt weather. 
no humidity, no bugs. Um, before you move here, know that it only lasts about two or three weeks for every year, and you got to put up with at least eight months worth of really iffy weather uh, to get that. But these are the weeks that you really don't want to go on vacation. You want to be at home. You want to enjoy it because it is just perfect, perfect, perfect to be outside. So I am loving that. Um, we've got a whole bunch of football news to talk about, but tonight is a celebration. I have not had anything alcoholic to drink in the month of July. Taking a little bit of a break, letting myself dry out, giving my liver a break, and I have decided to break the fast for the podcast. So I have a Diver Down. Uh, for those of oh, you not man. familiar with Diver Downs, it is, it is your favorite clear Mexican lager of choice. I'm using Pacifico because that's mine. You put a little bit of Bacardi Limon as a topper. Once you take the top off, put your thumb over the top, turn it upside down, let it mix a little bit. Just a beautiful, beautiful summer drink. And it's in honor of one of our listeners that reached out to us on Twitter this week and said, you tried to warn me, but I was reckless and a fool with the Diver Downs. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm with you. I've been there. Walk it off, champ. It's okay. Um, it's two drinks in every bottle, not one. It is easy to forget, and they go down so smooth. Hopefully, like this podcast, but I want to I want to add on to Brett's thanks before we get too far along. Um, we tend to roll through all the football stuff and get really excited about it, but just to reach out and say it's amazing that over four hundred and forty thousand of you have consumed this content in one way or another. Um, almost ninety countries, guys, gals, old, young, plenty of folks have interacted with us on Twitter, showed us all kinds of support and love, and said crazy nice things like "best football podcast on the internet." Um, just can't thank you enough. We've been around like a quarter of a year at this point, not quite a half a year. And just so much love, support, interaction, um, good-natured ribbing, uh, challenges to our theories, all that stuff. We wouldn't be here without you. We do it for all of you. We certainly enjoy it, but without the audience, we are nothing, and you guys are everything. So thank you very, very much. Um, so I am fantastic, but we really need to talk about a superstar coming to my neck of the woods. So Jamal Adams, one of the 10 best players in the NFL, it is a rare thing to see a top 10 elite NFL player in the prime of his career, at the start of the prime of his career, really, get traded. The last one I can remember was Khalil Mack, uh, which was also an equally crazy haul for him a couple of years ago when he went to Chicago. Uh, so the Jets traded away said elite player Jamal Adams for a 21 uh, 2021 and 2022 first round pick from the Seattle Seahawks a 2021 third round pick safety Bradley McDougald and uh, in addition to Jamal they they sent over a 2022 fourth round pick I guess to even out the deal a little bit uh, but even then I I wouldn't have been surprised if Jamal Adams himself fetched that haul um, it is a very very high price and I would say it's probably about an even trade, but I personally would lean a little bit more towards the Seattle side because it is a known commodity, it is, it is an elite commodity, and if I'm trying to build a team, I would much rather have players that I know are going to be elite and probably elite for the next damn near a decade than uh, a lottery ticket of a late first round pick, 
even if it's multiple late first round picks. What say you, EJ? Yeah, there's. We'll unpack this. This one has layers. As soon as this one landed, I texted you. I didn't know if you'd heard about it, and I was like, "So, uh, Jamal Adams is a Seahawks. Uh, we need to. We need to go to a game. Um, this is a huge deal. Again, prime player, prime of their career. Um, big compensation swap." Uh, one of the important takeaways is Seattle now has an elite. And if I'm defining elite, I'm saying top five at their position in the entire league. I agree with you that Jamal Adams is 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 higher than that. But they now have an elite defender in both the second and third levels of the defense. I'm talking about Wagner and Adams. And that'll make up for a lot mm-hmm. on any team. And it's not like they're surrounded by slouches. They have plenty of talent in other places, but they have elite, again, top five in the entire league at their spot in level two and level three of their defense. That's a big deal. And the Seahawks in particular know what having an elite, what having an elite safety with range does for their defense. They had Earl Thomas. Now they have Adams. Thomas and Adams are not the same player, uh, but their level of capability is... I would say very, very similar. They do different things, but they are both incredibly impactful. And the Hawks got to see firsthand what happened when Earl Thomas got injured and he left, um, came back, what difference was made in their defense. And they tried to do some things after Earl Thomas left town. Um, They never really sort of regained that form that they had when they had a truly elite and impactful safety was capable of playing single high now Adams is much more than that Adams can play all over the field and he is effective everywhere it's not like yeah he can play near the line but he's really more effective deep we say that about a lot of safeties we said that about a lot of the draft prospects that we just reviewed Adams is not that guy Adams is a guy you draft in the first round because that's what you want out of a first round pick he actually did it right he's not a bust he's the opposite of that he's everything that you want to spend a high round pick on so the Hawks haven't exactly killed it with their first round picks of late. Uh, by getting Adams, they trade uncertainty for a proven commodity. He's a bird in the hand rather than a pair of lottery tickets. Um, and right before we started, you so uh, graciously posted in uh, Seattle's history of first round picks. And it looks pretty good when it starts off. Now, this is in the Pete Carroll era, uh, Pete Carroll, John Schneider era. We're talking about Russell Okung and Earl Thomas in 2010. That's a really nice start. Hell of pick a start. Six, <laughs> pick six and pick 14. They crushed it. And everybody thought, wow, this is there's a new sheriff in town. And, and there was, right? They were building the core of what turned out to be a very good team and a team that ended up going to the Super Bowl. 2011, uh, a much later round pick, 25th, James Carpenter, the guard from Alabama. 2012, Bruce Irvin at 15 defensive end from West Virginia and everybody says now in hindsight oh that was that was a great pick yeah oh absolutely I panned that pick because it was a huge reach at the time and credit to Bruce Irvin for developing and becoming a rusher and doing the one thing that he was good at and the Hawks for putting him in a place to do exactly that and nothing else for basically hiding his weaknesses and playing up his strengths because not a lot of teams do that I know it sounds really simple but um, doesn't happen all that much so Bruce Irvin pretty solid pick 2013, 2014, 2015, no first-round pick. They traded him away. They traded down. They stockpiled draft picks. It's a John Schneider trademark. Um, 2016, Jermaine Effetti, 31st, right down at the end of the first round. 
guard from Texas A&M, now Chicago Bear, German Effetti. He's bounced around a little bit and then been of, I would say, limited effectiveness. Um, 2017, no pick again. 2018, Rashad Penny, running back, Oof. San Diego State. Um, Yikes. Not, not awesome. I liked Rashad Penny a lot. I was stunned that he was picked in the first round. Um, 2019, this is where it gets gross. LJ Collier at 29, defensive end out of mm. TCU. Did not like the Collier pick so far. And again, it's only been a year. Collier has not performed to spec and has not looked like a first round pick. Looks like a reach that was actually a reach, not one of those great Seahawks reaches that pans out. Just a reach. And then 2020, famously, Jordan Brooks, the linebacker from Texas Tech, who most people thought would probably go in the third round. We've talked about how he's a good fit for Seattle system and that John Schneider will do what he damn well pleases with first round picks. Um, but the book is certainly out, especially with um, what we consider better linebackers being picked later. But there's no way to judge Jordan Brooks yet. Hasn't played a down in professional football. But if you really scroll back through that, since 2012 and the Bruce Irvin pick, and if you really want to go back to 2011 and James Carpenter, he's, he's been a solid player, but um, I would certainly not say spectacular. Um, they haven't had a really big impact first round pick since 2012 with Bruce Irvin. An actual and even decade, that was yeah. <laughs> cons- yeah, that was considered a reach. Um, nothing really since then. You're looking at Jermaine Fetty, Rashad Penny, LJ Collier, and Jordan Brooks since 2012. Um that's that's a long stretch to go without a high-impact first-round pick. And other teams have done it as well. It's not just the Seahawks. We're not panning them. And obviously, they've, had, they've found a way to have overall team success. But basically, what they did is take two first-round picks that they've had very limited effectiveness with in the last, to your point, decade and trade it for a guy they know is a blue-chip-plus superstar that also fills a hole that makes their defense click in Mm -hmm. an almost historic way. So all the signs are pointing that they did a really good thing here. Um, And you said you'd lean a little bit towards the Seahawks in terms of, you know, overall who got the better, who got the better end of the deal. I would too, mostly because the Seahawks are largely a stable and fairly well-run organization. And the Jets are, um, um, What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, Not. (laughs) Right? What did Adam say on his way out? He not only panned Adam Gase, who's the head coach of the Jets and a former Chicago Bears coach, not head coach, but he was the offensive coordinator for the Bears. Then he went on to be the head coach at Miami, where he was largely panned and then somehow ended up with the Jets gig um, after a wild introductory press conference. He not only panned that guy, he also went after the GM, who is fairly well respected, but uh, he went after the GM and he didn't stop there. He went after the owner of the New York Jets. So all is not well in Jets land in terms of team stability. So if you're looking at who's going to use the assets better, no matter what the assets are, I would lean very strongly towards Seattle using Jamal Adams better than the Jets use those first two first rounders. So I have a few different perspectives on this. One, I am not saying that Ashton Davis is Jamal Adams or that he will ever be Jamal Adams. But the fact that they got Ashton Davis in the third round when I felt he was a first-round talent makes Adams' departure hurt slightly less. And I mean ever so slightly. (laughs) Razor-thin. Razor-thin. But they have a body that can play. 
And I yes. think it's telling that they waited until after they were able to get the rookies in the building for medical checks before they traded Adams because they wanted to see what Ashton Davis's status was. As soon as he got the all clear, they're like, all right, we're shipping out Jamal. Because I think Davis was their plan. Um, and I love I love Ashton Davis. He's going to be a good player. Maybe not Jamal Adams, but he's going to be a good player. Uh, on the Seahawks side of this thing, I think... You know, it's beyond just Adams being good deep. I would argue he's even better the closer to line of scrimmage he is. So I think that lets Diggs be Diggs on the back end, and it lets Adams be Adams if they're just going to, you know, kind of do the normal Seattle, uh, you know, one high looks, you know, playing cover one, cover three, eight in the box all the time, like that kind of stuff. Like if they're just going to leave Jamal down there, that's fine. Because I think even though he is good deep, like I'm not saying he's not good deep, uh, I think he's ridiculous uh when he's inside 10 yards the line of scrimmage um but that being said Diggs isn't bad down low either and so how i think is even if they continue playing the same kind of coverages where we're playing cover three we're playing cover one because they have two guys that can do both or at the very least function in both roles while being elite in the other um that lets them start out in two high shells. You know, they can show cover two, they can show cover four, and then rotate either guy down. So that it gives a little bit of unpredictability to a defense that is honestly pretty predictable, at least has been historically. And having that extra little bit of versatility, I mean, we saw even in the, the prime Legion of Boom, you know, there were some plays where they would rotate Cam deep middle and then bring Earl down on robber calls and he would get picks that way. You know, just because Cam, even though he was way better down low, he, he for a big guy, he could still play in the deep middle a few snaps a game and be fine. But that let Earl be Earl because he had that versatility on the other side of him. So having Jamal and Diggs together that can both, at minimum, be functional in both roles uh, and just gives that extra little bit of unpredictability so that they can start preying on young quarterbacks that, um, you know, expect the rotation to go one way and then they hit them with the other thing. So uh, th- that's going to be big for them. The one thing they're still missing, I think, that could make this defense elite is defensive line depth, particularly in, uh, in the edge rush department. Uh, they don't have any at all. And I'm not sure they have the money to sign Everson Griffin or Javon Clowney. I can't remember how much cap space they have right now. Uh, they have a ton of cap next year. It's an absolute. It's like $65 million they have next year. So I'm not sure if they could kind of pull off some restructures or extensions to make some room this year to get Clowney back or maybe get Everson Griffin or something to, to give them a, an actual defensive end that's worth a damn on third down because they don't have one. That's really the only thing they're missing. But if they do get that, uh, they this is going to be a very scary defense because that linebacking core plus Adams down low is a nightmare to run the ball on. Uh, Reed is good inside. Puna is good inside. Diggs is a great safety. Um, you know they they have some corners that I believe in. Like it's it's a very very good unit right now. But I think the one thing holding them back is pass rush. And uh, I'm curious to see how that plays out during the season. But, uh, man, exciting, exciting trade. I think uh, Seahawks fans should be excited. I know they're upset that they gave up a lot of assets, but it's not like your team was, you know, using them very well in the first place. So if I was a Seahawks fan, I'd be pumped. 
And uh, I, I really can't wait to, to fly up to Washington and, and watch Jamal and Bobby play together because that's just going to be ridiculous. Now, I will say this week's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. Thank you for them for uh, coming back and sponsoring the show. We're very appreciative of it. Purple Mattress is one of the most innovative sleep solutions on the market, and they have their own patented technology to prove it, the Purple Grid. The grid relieves full body pressure no matter your size, no matter how you sleep, and because the open air channels within that grid, it kind of adapts to your natural shape while neutralizing body heat because, again, it has so much airflow. You stay comfortably cool all night long. I can tell you from experience, having felt that grid myself, it is way more supportive than it looks. You know, you're looking at all these open channels and you're thinking that's that shouldn't be able to support a human body. And then the moment you put pressure on it and the physics behind it start to click in your head, you're like, okay, I, I get it now. This, this actually is really, really comfortable. It's a really good design and you kind of have to experience it for yourself to understand it. And in fact, Purple is so confident that when you get it to experience it yourself, that you'll love the mattress. Every single order comes with a 100-night risk-free trial. Every single mattress also ships for free, and it's delivered right to your door. And at the end of your trial, if you're not completely satisfied, they will come pick up your mattress at no cost to you. So if you want to try it out for yourself and kind of experience this technology, go to purple.com bootleg and use promo code bootleg. And for a limited time with that code, you'll get $150 off of any purple mattress order of $1,500 or more. Again, that is purple.com bootleg promo code bootleg for $150 off any order of $1,500 or more. Terms and conditions, of course, apply. Now, EJ, I do want to move on to uh, slightly... Uh, more pressing matters across the league. And that is how coronavirus has impacted uh, not just honestly the NFL, but professional sports in general over the last week. You know, we've seen training camps start up. We've seen major league baseball, at least attempt to restart their season. And of course the NBA bubble is still going on as well. Uh, last time we recorded a deal had not been struck yet between the players union and the league. Since then that has changed. And uh, not to get too in the weeds on the deal, but the main part I want to talk about is it allows opt-outs for players for two different types. You can either opt out of playing this season if you have any sort of health-related uh, risk or you're high risk or you have family that's high risk. Uh, or you can opt out, you know, just the I don't want to play option, which is not related to health. And they, they carry different uh, monetary values uh, depending on what you claim. Um, and a lot of players, well, I shouldn't say a lot. Well, I don't know. We're, we're recording this on Tuesday. By the time it comes out on Thursday, it could be a lot. Who knows? But there was a substantial number so far on Tuesday that we got the news that opted out. Um, the first one was Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, uh, Super Bowl champion guard from the Chiefs, who is actually a doctor. So he's also Canadian. So he's back home in Canada um, working as an orderly in a hospital, I believe, um, in a COVID wing, which was honestly, I'm golf claps to him. That's a phenomenal thing that he's doing, you know, not just using his medical degree, but um, turning down a lot of money to do so is it's it really speaks to his character. And I'm, his I'm quote was, yeah, his quote was just crushing. If I am to take risks, I will do it caring for patients. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's Bam. just a, a hell of a <laughs> mic <guy>. drop. <laughs> he's already my early pick for Walter Payton man of the year. Cause that's, that's really yep. what that award is all about. It really is. He's a phenomenal human. 
Um, Eddie Goldman also opted out due to uh, familial health concerns. Because keep in mind, it's not just these guys that are getting exposed. It's the family that they live with. You know, if you have a family member with asthma or, you know, a recovering cancer patient or anybody who's, you know, immunosuppressed, uh, like it's it's a huge risk. So I understand anybody living with family that has those concerns, even if they themselves do not have those concerns, opting out, such as Eddie Goldman. Marquise Goodwin also opted out. He just signed with the Eagles uh, this past offseason. But... Um, you know, the, the struggles that he and his wife had uh, with their first child, who they unfortunately lost. They just had another young child. And after going through their, their first loss, they really don't want to risk the health of their new baby. So he opted out as well. Totally understandable. And I wish them all the best as well. And a slew of Patriots uh, also opted out today. By my last count, it was at least six. By the time this episode publishes on Thursday, it might be more. Um, but the two headliners are Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung. Uh, a lot of veteran leadership and um, and savvy that, that won't be there for the Patriots staff to work with this year. When you also include uh, that they lost uh, Kyle Van Noy in free agency, I don't believe Landon Roberts is going to be there next year either. Like that's that's their whole linebacking core and box safety that's that's not going to be on the field for them. That is. It's it's huge. It's it's a huge loss for them. Understandable losses, obviously. I'm not denigrating these players for opting out at all. In fact, quite the opposite. I respect it immensely. Um, but some of these teams, if they have large percentages of players that opt out, it's it's going to hurt them in a very tangible way. Yeah, it's not only the opting out. And the first thing I want to say about this is sort of a continuation of something you said, which is we highlighted some of the more notable players. There have been others. Uh, and there will be more. Absolutely. They've got a 10-day window to opt out after the deal was signed. That was about five days ago. That was the deal struck between the NFL and the NFLPA, the NFL Players Association. And there will be more. And I just want to put out a call to say, please don't be that guy or girl that denigrates these players for making a choice about their health. This is a game. This is entertainment. Now, folks like Brett and I, we make it out to be more, right? It's it's Brett's whole life. It's a large part of mine. It's very important to us, and it's very important to you as fans. We understand that 100%, but it is still entertainment, and there are enough people at risk here. It's not just the players. It's the players' families. It's not just the players' families. It's coaches and trainers and, you know, secretaries that work with the team and uh, you know, folks that need to interact, uh, chiropractors, uh, team doctors, you name it. And not all those folks are in great health. Lots of those folks are in the high risk category. There are so many people that come together to make an NFL game happen, even if fans aren't in the stands, which it largely looks like they will not be this year. Please don't be one of those turds that comes out of the woodwork to say, they should be out there because it makes me happy on Sunday. Let them make their choice. It has a serious financial consequence for them. NFL careers are extremely short. They're not doing this in a flippant or light or, well, I kind of just don't want to play this year manner. That's not what goes into these decisions. So please don't be one of those chorus of sort of idiot fans that jumps on them and says, they should play because I want football. Eh, look, we're going to get some football of some type, and we'll see how it goes. But to your second point, 
there are a bunch of teams that if they lose a large cadre of players or a core of players, especially in one position group, and then some of their players during the season test positive for COVID and have to sit out for two weeks, it's really going to put the screws on some teams. Um, and what we're going to see and what people have trying to been trying to be thinking about how to counter is what if it happens to a key position like quarterbacks? Do we keep one quarterback in isolation from the other quarterbacks? Sort of no quarterbacks room sort of a thing. Um, and there are going to be sort of logistical and strategic considerations here for, hey, we had, like you said, three starting linebackers opt out. We only have four other linebackers in camp. And uh-oh, three weeks in, two of them get sick. We're down to two linebackers. It's tough to play with two linebackers, mm-hmm. even in a nickel and dime heavy league. So we're going to see this continue to have a ripple effect. And we have just seen a couple of days ago, the Florida Marlins ended up with a little outbreak on their team. I think they're up to 17 cases throughout players and, and team personnel um, over the past couple of days. So they've this is the first sort of COVID outbreak in a, in a sports league that started up and is actually playing games again. We we talked about it on our last episode of all the folks that had spring practice at college football and how many cases they had. This is a league that's actually operating. Games are starting to be postponed. And if you don't think the NFL is watching very closely, you're not paying attention. Alan Robinson tweeted out, it'll be really interesting to see how this is handled about the Marlins situation. Right. So players in the league, in the NFL, are watching these other leagues and saying, what happens when a team loses enough players they can't play or the risk becomes too great? Do we cancel games? Like, how does the league react? They're very, very interested in that. And with good reason, it affects their personal health and personal safety. So this is a a story that's just starting to crack open. Just we're just starting to appreciate how this is really going to affect the season. And something we said on our last podcast is no matter how it does, this season is going to have a serious asterisk next to it. And something that came into my head that has no basis in fact, I'm going to, I'm just going to throw that out there. This is not anything I've heard. This is not a whisper. This is just a pure what if, right? This is, this is not to get people restless. This is just a pure what if. Russell Wilson just had a kid. Congratulations to Russell and Ciara. Brand new son. Named him Win Wilson. What if Ciara says to Russell, or Russell says to Russell, you know, I don't I don't want to risk my newborn's health. I'm gonna opt out. Like, how does that change the balance of power not only in the division, the AFC or the NFC West, but the entire league right if you have Mm -hmm. a starting quarterback that's one of the probably top three or four quarterbacks in the entire league say you know i've made a lot of money i'll come back next year when there's better health protocols i'm i'm gonna sit this one out i got a brand new child at home right now i'm not saying russell's gonna do that i'm not saying i've heard anything about him considering it that is not true this is just a pure hypothetical think about how that changes the entire landscape of the division and therefore the conference, eventually the league. Um, That's one player's decision, right? These are impactful decisions all the way along from the linebacker you haven't heard about in Jacksonville to, you know, uh, eventually we'll probably have a quarterback uh, opt out or get sick, one or the other. And it's going to make a huge difference. So it's going to be a very interesting season. It's not going to be par for the course or status quo. 
And we're just going to have to kind of roll and adapt and see how the league reacts when those first sort of bumps in the road pop up because they're going to. Yeah, it's it's unavoidable. Like there's, I won't even call them hiccups, uh, just full-blown. Like there's, there's going to be some bad stuff that happens, stuff that honestly will be nobody's direct fault. Uh, but that's kind of the nature of a historically bad global pandemic is just stuff's going to go wrong. You know, even in baseball, like no other, no other teams have had any positive tests since the Marlins outbreak, but the Marlins were the unlucky team that got hit. And it sucks for them that their season's been put on pause, like their season's ruined. Um, but it's, it's Russian roulette is what it is. Not to be super morbid, but that's what it is. And some team in the NFL is going to get hit. I guarantee you some team's going to get hit. And I just, I pray to God that it's not a worst case scenario. I hope that everybody's families at least, uh, can stay as healthy as possible. Lord knows I want all these players that just had newborn kids because Russell Wilson's not the only one. Marquise Goodwin's not the only one. Like a lot of these players, there's thousands of players. Like there's going to be some young kids at risk here. I, I really hope they all stay healthy too. But um, statistically speaking, there's there's going to be an outbreak with at least one of these teams. And I, I just hope that it's mitigated and handled as – as well as as we can and with as much um, deference to medical professionals as we can possibly give because I feel like that's uh, that's been hard to come by in America right now is, is trusting doctors and I hope the league can learn from that and just just trust the doctors and do what they say. Uh, so that's all I gotta say about that. Yeah, I gotta bring up Kyle Brandt's tweet, right? So Kyle Brandt, good morning football host. Um, fellow Chicago Bears fan, so don't like piling on him. But he came out with a tweet this week that I'm just paraphrasing, said basically there's a segment of the NFL media that wants the COVID closure, right? They're rooting for it. And he got ratioed, I think, rightfully so, pretty hard. Um, For those of you not familiar with the term, ratioed is when you say something uh, not quite super well thought out on Twitter and you get piled on by sources from all over. And that's what happened to Kyle. Um, even Peter King came out and said like, oh, now stop, I think was his response. Uh, and you know, for those of, for those people that might think that, and I'm not sure whether Kyle really thinks that, or he just said it to sort of stir up debate either way. It's a silly statement. I don't think anybody Anybody is rooting for the stop of the NFL due to COVID, right? Or for major roadblocks to pop up for the NFL in COVID. Like, fans want to see football. Everybody that works around football, and that includes the media, right? If there's no football, a lot of the media are going to lose their jobs. To say that those people are rooting for football to be disrupted is really not um, well thought out. And just not accurate. Like I don't, I don't want football to not happen. I just want people to be safe. Like, is that is that too much yeah, to ask? <laughs> I don't think it's too much to ask. And and look, we came down pretty hard on the negative in terms of we weren't sure about the NFL season was going to happen in our last podcast. 
It's not because we don't. The motivation there is not that we want the NFL to be canceled. Look, we spend a lot of time watching this stuff, talking about it. Oh, yeah, all those draft preview shows. We want to see all those guys sit on the shelf for a year before they actually get to show our ta- show their talents on the field, right? No, we're, we're as hungry to see the NFL in action as anybody, and we want it to happen. But we're also human beings with families, and we don't want anybody's, you know, family or themselves to be impacted by this and, you know, eventually suffer the ultimate consequence of death, which not a lot of people will, but it means a lot to those who will, right? We, we're not trying to be morbid. It doesn't make us, you know, bad journalists because we say, hey, this is a possibility and this is what we see, right? This is, this is the objective way we see it. We're not trying to sensationalize this. We're saying there's a huge amount of risk here. And we're not sure it can be overcome. That doesn't make us rooting. It doesn't make us folks that are hoping for the cessation of the NFL. That's just a, I think there was a short-sighted tweet. I I think it's probably one Kyle wants back. I haven't heard any follow-up statement from him. But uh, he, he got the weight of the world dumped on him. And as a guy that's been ratioed even in a small way, it is not a fun thing when you're in that seat. When you didn't think something through fully and you put it out there, I've been there. Um, I yeah, imagine you I have once, as well. I once advocated for drafting Christian Hackenberg. That didn't go well for me either. So I, I get you, Kyle. Yeah, no, we've been there and we commiserate. <laughs> we're not trying to pile on, but we're also not rooting for the NFL to be stopped by COVID, no. right? Quite the opposite. We want it to go on, but we want folks to be safe. We can be human beings and folks that talk about football at the same time. Yeah. So I think that's a good place to leave the uh, depressing weekly topic uh, for now and, yeah. and get to something a little bit, uh, let's say, more joyous. And that's, more lighthearted, yes. That's uh, Joey Bosa getting an absolute crap ton of money uh, dumped on him by the Los Angeles Chargers. Five years, $135 million, that is $27 million a year for those of you trying to do the math at home. $78 million guaranteed at signing, $102 uh, million total guaranteed, which means if you include the fifth year option that he's about to play under and the extension on top of that, he is basically uncuttable. Let's just say that for five years, he is minimum going to be a charger for the next five years. And he's earned every penny. I'll just say that he's one of comfortably the seven to eight best defensive ends in the league. I, I would say probably maybe even higher than that, to be honest if we're doing a total ranking, but comfortably at least seven to eight. Um, and the market just keeps going up. I mean, less than two weeks ago, Miles Garrett signed for $25 million and Bosa just upped it to $27 million. So he's he's been one of the most disruptive edge rushers in the league, honestly, since the first time he stepped on the field. He's been a phenomenal football player. Um, and when you see quarterbacks making $45 million, it, it makes defensive ends making 27 not seem too bad, especially... When this quarter, uh, when this defensive end's one job is to hunt down that forty-five million dollar quarterback, so uh, money, money well earned. And um, I also want to divert a little bit to another Charger story that happened this week. This one I think is uh, interesting. I'll say the least. Keenan Allen had a lot to say on Twitter, as he always does, and he declared himself. Well, honestly, there was a string of tweets calling out other receivers, but. In addition to calling out Mike uh, Mike Evans from Tampa, and he, well, he tagged the wrong guy at first. He tried to call out Chris Godwin, accidentally tagged somebody named Chris Goodwin, uh, who is not Chris Godwin. <laughs> Whoops. 
Uh, <laughs> and he called out also Tyree Kill in the same tweet, said he's better than everybody, and then followed that up saying that he is, without a doubt, the best receiver in the AFC West. And on first blush, I mean, you're like, okay, Keenan Allen's a pretty damn good receiver. That doesn't sound too crazy. But then you look at all the receivers that are in the AFC West, and we're, we'll include tight ends too that catch a lot of passes because there are several of them in that division. And when you look at all the receivers and tight ends in the AFC West, I don't think that Keenan Allen's the best. He's damn good, but he's not the best. And I'll read off a few names for you, EJ. You can kind of, let's just have you list out your top five of, of receiving talents in the AFC West. And let me know if you think Keenan Allen's number one. So just in Kansas City alone, they have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. In Denver, they have Cortland Sutton, and we're, again, we're not including rookies here, so I'm not going to include Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Ruggs, Brian Edwards, all the, the great up-and-coming guys that we expect to be pretty good, uh, but they haven't taken a snap yet. So we're just going to include guys that, that have played. So Cortland Sutton's the main man in Denver. Uh, Vegas, you've got Tyrell Williams and Darren Waller. Waller especially had a monster year last year. And in the Chargers, you've got Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Hunter Henry. So there's a lot of names on that list. Do you think Keenan Allen is number one? Uh, I don't. And and that's because we listed these out. Uh, you know, we were going to go through our top five. And you're right. Ostensibly, look, Keenan Allen is a great receiver. Great receiver. Not a good receiver. He is a great receiver. He is an underrated talent. He rarely comes in uh, in the discussion of uh, top five in the league. Um, sometimes he's even outside of the top 10. I think that's eh, probably not all that warranted. Um, when I started looking through all the receivers, what really struck me was the receivers in the AFC West are not limited to the receivers or they, or they shouldn't be. Um, because when you look at the numbers that, especially the two tight ends that you listed, well, you listed three tight ends, but when you really look at Travis Kelsey's numbers and Darren Waller's numbers, they're crushing a lot of the wide receivers in the, in the division, right? If you're talking about just wide receivers, everybody's going to say Tyreek Hill because he just won the Super Bowl and he's Pat Mahomes' favorite receiver. Look, Tyreek Hill had 58 catches for 860 yards and seven touchdowns, 14.8 yards a catch. That's pretty impactful. Seven touchdowns especially is a big number. He's creeping up towards 1,000 yards, and it's a talented and varied receiving core. But Darren Waller had 90 catches for 1,145 yards, three touchdowns, and 12.7 yards. Yeah, even accounting for the games that Tyreek missed, because I I can't remember how many games he missed, but it was a few uh, at the beginning of the year. Even accounting for that, like Waller was still right in terms of per game production. He was right there. Yeah, and there's this one little difference between Darren Waller and Tyreek Hill. I can't I can't quite put my finger on it. What is it? Um, um, roughly six inches oh, and 50 pounds. Right. <laughs> uh, no, it's who throws them the ball. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right? Tyreek Hill has Pat Mahomes. Pat, $45 million a year. I just bought a Ferrari Mahomes. Darren Waller does not. <laughs> yeah. So it's cool. just one of those things. If I list out the top five receivers... Um, I'll start with five and go to one. I list Waller as the fifth best receiver in the AFC West. After that, it's Tyree Kill, and it's largely on the strength of those touchdowns. Uh, there are other receivers who had more yards. Uh, if you're looking at guys that had a, uh, let's just say a similar number of catches, like Mike Williams in, in LA, right? He had 49 catches, not 58, but he had a thousand yards, thousand and one, only had two touchdowns, but it's 20.4 yards a catch. Mike Williams is a 
big play down the sideline receiver that picks up yardage in big chunks, but the way you win football games is scoring points, and he got two touchdowns out of it. Tyreek Hill, only 860 yards, less yards per catch, but he got seven touchdowns. That's that's a big difference. So Tyreek Hill is my number four. Travis Kelsey, his teammate, is number three. 97 catches, 1,229 yards, five touchdowns, just like Waller, 12.7 yards a catch. That's a receiver. I don't care what you want to call him. I don't care if he blocks a little bit every now and again. He caught 100 balls for over 1,200 yards and five scores. You call that whatever you want to. I call that a receiver. So Travis Kelsey is three. Then it's Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen, 104 catches, 1,199 yards, and six touchdowns, 11.5 yards a catch, less than both Waller and Kelsey. So who's that leave? We talked about all the other receivers in the division. Who's that leave that I think is the number one in the AFC West? And that's Cortland Sutton. Mm -hmm. 72 catches, 1,112 yards, six touchdowns, 15.4 yards a catch. He can play inside he can play outside he is not a one-trick pony i've heard people say oh he can only catch deeper he can only run a hooker he can only baloney Corlin hutton Corlin sutton can run whatever you want 72 catches six touchdowns 15.4 yards um an ascending receiver an alpha number one and i think that trumps uh you know keenan allen had you know 30 more catches he only had like 70 more yards he had the exact same number of touchdowns and he was four yards less per catch so Cortland Sutton doing the same slash more with less um so I'm gonna go and health has been less of an issue I would I would agree with literally that whole list except I would in terms of who's on it but I would flip Keenan Allen and Tyreek Hill I have Tyreek Hill at number two Keenan Allen at number four I still have Kelsey at three Mm. sandwiched in between them um, but I do agree with Sutton number one because he does everything. You know, he can post up in the red zone. Uh, great route runner for his size. Good hands. I mean, I in one game I've seen him take a screen for forty yards off the goal line, and then a couple plays later catch a fade. Like he he does it all, and with not great quarterback play to start his career. Other than that five game five game stretch last year with Drew Lock played okay. Uh, certainly better than than uh, you know Joe Flacco did, but still he's. I wouldn't even say that Drew Locke was as good as uh, Derek Carr. Like you know, the, Sutton had probably the worst quarterback play in the division, um, but still was highly highly productive. So in year two of Drew Locke, especially with the new Pat Shermer system, and Shermer is known for creating pass games out of thin air, let alone with all the talent he's got to work with. I expect Sutton to be massively productive and really assert himself, uh, as you said, as the best receiver in this division. Now, I will say uh, Tyreek and Keenan, uh, and this again, this is not disparaging Keenan at all. He's a phenomenal route runner, one of the two best route runners in the league. Uh, I would say him and uh, uh, Stephon Diggs are probably the two best pure route runners. Maybe not the most physical route runners, like DeAndre Hopkins, a more physical route runner, Michael Thomas more physical, but just in terms of the sweet feet off the line of scrimmage, um, how they are able to stem and you know really use leverage to their advantage down the field. Technique, like, technique, yeah. technique, technique, technique. Every time, if you want a, a technique magician. clinic, yeah, I would say Keenan Allen and um, boy, I miss Doug Baldwin because <laughs> oh boy, yeah, Doug Baldwin, Dougie Fresh, Doug Baldwin was, good. was he was 
he did not have the physical gifts that probably any receiver on this list had. He was he was not a physically gifted guy in terms of his his frame or necessarily his speed, his musculature, any of that stuff. But oh my god, did he nail his technique and he drilled it over and over again. It did not come easily. It was all through hard work. And watching him destroy defensive backs using leverage and technique was a thing of beauty. Yeah, and Keenan Keenan's that same guy, and uh, Rams fans are going to find out pretty quick that Van Jefferson is that same kind of guy too. So I, he's always going to be top five for that reason alone. But part of the reason why I have Tyreek uh, two spots above him is just the dynamic ability that Tyreek has to score and get your offense out of holes quickly. He's never going to put up as many catches. Um, maybe as many yards as some of these guys, but he's he led the division in touchdowns for wide receivers for a reason because he puts points in the paint. That's funny. I'm going to ask you about that, though. So, you know, Tyree killed 58 catches, and you said never going to have as many catches, but 104 for Keenan. So a little more than half. Uh, Tyreek Hill, 860 yards, Keenan Allen, 1,199, 339 yards difference, and only one touchdown. For all that dynamism, Tyreek Hill had seven, Keenan Allen had six. Also in less games, though. It's true. Less games. But that's, that's worth two spots for you? It is just, and again, I'm, I'm partially going off of career here, you know, the last three sure. years combined, because I've... As you know, as a Texans fan, I've seen what Tyreek can do uh, when, no, they, when they're playing, down by I'm 20 points. I'm just playing points. devil's advocate. Like, yeah, I'm it, just playing devil's advocate. I don't disagree. Tyreek Hill is definitely more dynamic with the ball in his hands than Keenan Allen. I'm not trying to make that argument. I, I wouldn't even just say with the ball in his hands. I'm more saying even just throwing it deep. Like, I've seen Tyreek last year against Houston go up and sky up between two guys 50 yards down the field on a deep post and bring that thing in. Like... If the Chiefs are down 20 points versus the Chargers mm-hmm. being down 20 points, I'm a hell of a yeah. lot more scared of the Chiefs, even with Matt Moore and not Pat Mahomes, because Tyreek Hill's on the field. Yeah, and Tyreek Hill, the other piece, I agree with you there for sure, and and I'm not trying to make the dynamism argument because it's that's in Tyreek Hill, Tyreek Hill's favor all day. The other thing he does in a different way than Keenan Allen does is influence defenses yes the without the ball in his hands you have to account for his speed and defenses will stretch and go deeper with Tyree Kill on the field than they ever would with Keenan Allen on the field because they know Keenan will catch that ball underneath they know he's going to pick up eight nine yards that he's going to pick up the first down um that he's going to move the chain he's gonna do that he is incredible at that but Tyree Kill if you let him go <laughs> is going to pick up 30 and that's that's a difference that defenses have to account for. So given that, I probably should have bumped him up a spot in the ranking over Kelsey. I still don't know if I put him over Allen overall just as a wide receiver. But um, in terms of dynamism, yeah, he's got it all over just about everybody on the list. Yeah, it kind of just depends on the criteria you're working off of. Absolutely. You know, everybody's going to have their own opinion. But either way, guess what, Keenan? Cortland's better. <laughs> I think we agree <laughs> on that. We did agree on that. I wanted to throw out the honorable mentions. Uh, Folks don't talk about Tyrell Williams enough, um, now playing in Las Vegas. 
Didn't have great stats last year, but again, six touchdowns. He's right up there with Keenan Allen. 42 catches, 651 yards, 15.5 yards a catch. Was a pretty big play threat for that Raiders offense. Now they imported a couple of receivers uh, that we talked about in our draft preview. If you haven't checked that out, go back and listen to it. The other one is Mike Williams, uh, a big play receiver I mentioned earlier. 49 catches, but 1,000 yards, a 20.4 yard average. And then one more chief makes the list, Mecole Hardman. Six TDs on 26 catches. Ridiculous. That's a touchdown every 4.3 receptions for all you listeners that we tell to go drink and then do math. That's not very fair. (laughs) Um, A 20.7-yard average, so even greater than Mike Williams. Like In terms of impact, Mecole Hardman took his touches and took them to the house. Um, we'll just see more and more from him as, as that bond continues to develop between him and Pat Mahomes. It's already good. And then the last note isn't really honorable mention because they haven't played, but Jerry Judy and Brian Edwards could make a lot of noise in this discussion in a very short period of time. Um, they and both rugs are too. very polished. Yeah, rugs, absolutely. Rugs, rugs could... Rugs could be that guy like Mecole Hardman. I really think he can do a lot with very few touches. Um, and if, again, if they can get him the ball, uh, he could be in this discussion too. But Judy, a very polished route runner and has plenty of speed and moves. Edwards, just incredibly physical and productive. I think Edwards will probably take more of the Keenan Allen path and Jerry Judy a little bit more of the Tyreek Hill path. Not quite. Um, I still don't think he's as dynamic as Tyreek Hill, but he's closer to that. Um, so ton of receiving talent overall in division going to be a ton of fun to watch. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we did this kind of blind. I made my list, Brett made his, we said we'd compare him on air and we both have Sutton as the first. So, um, take that, take that how you will. Yeah. Have fun paying him 20 million in a couple of years, Denver, cause you're definitely going to have to. I'll just I'll just say that. Yeah, he's he's pure alpha. It, yeah. When you get a pure alpha wide receiver, you really don't want to let him go. Chicago extend Allen Robinson, you dorks. <laughs> yeah, talk about underrated um, receivers. My God. Exactly. Just don't let those guys out of the fold. When they truly are powering your offense and they're a number one and they have um, stats across the board, their average is good, their yardage production is good, their catches total is good, and they're and they're putting points on the board, they're putting up touchdowns. Don't let those guys go. You can replace the role players. You can replace the speedy slot. You can replace the possession receiver at the number two. But if you've got that true number one like Sutton or Robinson, you you pay that guy. Or DeAndre Hopkins. No, I wasn't going to bring it up, uh, but you did. Yeah. It's the <laughs> That's just license to pile on, you realize. I, I need an excuse to pour another McAllen. Yeah, well, there's plenty of those running around. Yeah. All right. What do you say we get out of here so I can go drink? I say we get out of here for sure. You can go pour a fresh drink. Uh, We can let folks off the hook, let them know that uh, with all the NFL news, it's just going to accelerate from here. We're going to see more folks opting out. We're going to see more about training camp. We're going to see more about signing of folks off the street to basically fill out those rosters. You lose one, you got to get one. Um, releases are already happening to get the rosters down to 80 practice squad, uh, sizes have been increased, uh, and you can now protect four practice squad players per week, which is a new wrinkle. Um, so that's a strategic decision as well. We'll be talking about all that stuff as time moves on, but we are out of here for today. Again, a huge thank you for 440,000 impressions on you guys through YouTube and the podcast. Um, 
just so much love for everybody that gives us love um, and listens to us ramble on week after week. Uh, We love you a ton. Uh, Stay safe, and we will talk to you soon. Later. Later.